Welcome back, folks, to the Get a Grip on Lighting podcast. On today's show, we have David K. Warfel. His title is Chief Evangelist of Light. Well, he's a Midwestern farm boy, so he's trying to be charming. That's good. Turned lighting designer, author, and educator who passionately shares the gift of light. Whether blogging at languageoflight.blog, writing for fine home building, technology designer, and house.com, that's H-O-U-Z-Z.com, or designing residential and entertainment experiences from coast to coast, like butter and toast, David simply wants to help others live better lives through the scientific and artistic application of radiant energy. Wow, that's a good line. From the local theater to Carnegie Hall, from his parents' kitchen to multi-million dollar homes like Greg Eric's, from pizza <laughs> joints to Las Vegas Strip, from school cafeterias to Royal Caribbean Cruise Lines. That's right. You can find David's work everywhere. He's, he's hiding out, but he's there. David is endlessly fascinated by the power of light to reveal and transform space. Um, but before we get there, we got to go to NUVO.US. Greg, and Energy Focus is launching in a whole new website, website for the Nouveau line. So are we They there. are. And usually we don't show the product, but when I have it right in front of me, I got to show it to you. This is our Nouveau Traveler. It's a UVC air disinfector, 99.9% effective, constant disinfection, filter-free technology, rechargeable battery right there. You can plug it in, last up to four hours, take it with you in the car, office, home, and protect your personal space. Really easy to operate too. Push a button for speed one. Okay. Push it twice for this speed This is two not eight. so you can clean the margarita you're rolling with, right? This is <laughs> this is actually cleaning the air in the space cleaning you're in. The air. Active air disinfection that you take with you. So if you're one of those COVIDians and you're out there and you're scared, you just wave that in everybody's face and kill all the germs. <laughs> And if you're, you're just safe. trying to get, trying to do a little bit of uh, hygiene theater, if you want to help people, put that on their desk, man. I'm going to order some of those right now, Greg Garrick. Um, you can find more information on them at nuvo.us. So original energy focus and energyfocus.com, of course, as well. Proud members of the National Association of Innovative Lighting Distributors. That's naild.org. That's right. Join us, Greg and I, and the rest of the crew who are members of Nailed. But for right now, let's talk to the, um, what does he say here? The, he likes to apply radiant energy. Let's go. What's up, David? Nice to be here. Um, I don't know what any of that stuff in the bio means, but it sounds pretty. So. Sure it does. You got to know. So you did, you had to have handled a hog or two in your life then, a Midwestern farm boy? What do you got? Or is it uh, corn? Or? So, no, no, no. It was all corn and soybeans for us. Okay. Uh, yeah, we handled cats. That was about it, barn cats. But no, I spent most of my mornings, you know, out out in the fields. So. You know what's funny is that I actually have a, a corn slash soybean farm myself. And, you know, there's this old adage, and we'll turn it over to Greg Garrick one second. I want to clear something up from everybody. Okay, people, farmers that raise livestock, those guys work like dogs. Okay, but these, these soy and corn, corn farmers... I mean, there's some intense times in the fall and in the spring, but the rest of the time they're chopping firewood. Greg, Eric, over to you. <laughs> uh, good opening there. So, David, I was reading a little bit about your background, and I see your lighting designer. And dive right into it. The promise of good lighting. You said five promises of better lighting on your website. Explain that to us. What you mean by that? What they are and what you mean? 
Yeah, it's a good question. And in, in lighting design, we often talk about what we talk about task, ambient, accent, you know, as the lights and as, as sort of the layers we need. And as I was trying to work with homeowners and clients who don't speak the secret language of light, uh, I realized I'd have better results and better conversations if we started talking about why we needed different kinds of light. And that's where the five promises came up. You know, it's just fancy language. There's nothing real magical about them, but it is uh, the five layers are, you know, we need light to help us see what we're doing so we can do it better. Like that's why we need that light is so that we can do it better. Uh, we need light to help us know where we are and where we're going, who's with us, what they're thinking and feeling by revealing the features on their face. You know, that's just, we, we just need light to helps us know more. Uh, then we need light that helps us feel better. And of course, over the last, you know, 10 or 20 years, that category in and of itself has exploded as we've understood the science as as more studies have come out. It's not just about feeling good and feeling comfortable, although that's a key component. It's actually about physically feeling better, right? And um, living a better life. So we just need the right kind of light that helps us feel better. The fourth is we need light to help us focus on what's important. What are we trying to look at? What are we trying to pay attention to? What is important and, and are we looking at the right place at the right time? So that focus is important. And then the the fifth promise is really light can help us adapt to changes more easily. So those can be changes in mood, changes in weather, changes in time of day, changes in season, changes as our eyes age, you know, change, you know, the old adage change is the only constant is certainly true. And light can either be fixed and not help us at all through all of those transitions, or it can be dynamic and actually support uh, a good full life. And the, the key word I saw in all five of those is that it can do that. You wrote the word can. So how can it? How do you get it to do that? Do you need a lighting designer? Uh, can I do it? That's a good question. Yeah, that's a good question. I suppose I'd never really thought about that before, but the opposite of that is light cannot, <laughs> right? So depending on how we put it into our house or our workplace or our schools or whatever, light can do those things. But the reason we talk about them as promises is that not everybody's getting those, right? If everybody was getting all of the benefits of light, then we wouldn't have a job. I wouldn't have a career. And in some ways, I'd be okay with that because it means the world is in a better place because people are living better lives. Now, in we don't see that, right? We don't see people getting all of those benefits. How does it happen? Do you have to have a lighting designer? There's nothing magical about lighting design. There's nothing uh, so difficult or so you know deeply scientific that you have to have a PhD in this or you know understand that. Like lighting, good lighting can be accessible to everybody. The reason people hire lighting designers is that we spend all day, every day, all year long learning this stuff, so it's easy for us. It's you know it's it's easy for us to take all of the given factors in a situation and say, here's what we recommend for you in lighting. But somebody who wants to read websites, somebody who wants to think about it, somebody who wants to dig into the science, at least at a, you know, a surface level, you can figure it out. And if you want to simplify it all, it's really the it's <laughs> good lighting really is, um, you know, just live in a tent and you'll have everything you need at the right time. That's so if you use that as the baseline and say, how close can I get to that in my indoor environments? then you're going to be moving in the right direction. Nice. 
And as, uh, in terms of residential and commercial, are you doing primarily one or the other? Or is it an even split? It's a good question. We, we meaning me, I suppose, back when it was just a one-man show, uh, was maybe 90% commercial, 95% commercial, and 5% residential. And about five years ago or so, I started to see this opportunity in the residential sector for doing lighting design in a different way, uh, for doing lighting design for a different group of people. So residential lighting design has been dominated by extraordinary designers who put extraordinary amounts of time and energy into each individual project, meaning it's highly custom tailored to the individual and it costs a lot of money. And I realized there's a, there's, you know, if there's a million houses being built this year, maybe a thousand of them have a lighting designer, maybe. So that leaves an awful lot of houses that don't. We started working in that direction and now we're probably 90% residential and 10% commercial. Wow. You know, I, I, I think that there's a problem with design. I mean, I think design is fundamentally lighting design. Um, you know, interior design is actually lighting design first. Like it bef that's the first and most important thing um, in the space rather because you can change the paint colors with the color of the light. You can change the way things look. Um, and so when they say that there's no lighting designer, somebody is designing the light, whether or not they have any credentials or they know what they're doing is a different, different kind of question. Um, what benefits can you bring other than just subtracting the negatives? Uh, we think about the difference between lighting layout and lighting design. And we talk about that a lot. And I think what you just mentioned, and there's going to be design. Somebody is choosing where to put the fixtures, what fixtures to put in. They're making choices about color temperature and which surfaces are being illuminated, et cetera. Somebody is making those choices. And generally speaking, especially in the residential sector, those choices are being made by the most junior member of the design team. They are finding the center line of the room, they're dividing it by equal segments, and they're putting circles on a plan. And that's the, the, the sum total of the design that goes into it. And in production build, you know, the design choice is satin, nickel, or bronze. That's it. That's the only choice that most homeowners are given when it comes to lighting. And so what can we add? What can we bring to the to the table? Uh, think about arriving at your favorite restaurant for dinner. You know, you're 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 taking your SO out for dinner, right? And you you want a really nice romantic place. You take them to this place. It's got a great atmosphere. Now take them to Walmart to the snack bar. And what's the difference? Of course, the food's different. The environment's different. But the lighting is also completely different. So when we do what we do. We do everything. People ask us what's different about lighting design versus what we already have on our plans. And I say everything, actually. We're not even going to put our circles in nice rows anymore because I'm not lighting the carpet. I'm lighting the cabinets. I'm lighting the walls. I'm lighting the fireplace. You know, I'm putting light in there for purpose. So it's really just stopping, thinking about every space, how people are going to use it and how a specific person is going to use it and making sure that the light is there to support their biology and their geometry and not just, hey, it's like gas station canopy lighting. There's light everywhere. Great. We're covered. Move on to the next room. Yeah, there's different applications. It's not to say that Walmart is bad. Just that's, right. that's just what it is. 
but how do you help people's biology? Well, so we learn more every day. In fact, just this mm-hmm. week, one of our key, one of our team members who just spends lots of time following the research shared with us that there's another layer of cells in the eye that they just discovered. And they know part of the neural pathway of what it connects to. So it's taking in light and it's sending it to the brain, but they're not actually sure entirely what those cells are doing. It's not vision, right? It's not telling us what we see. It's doing something. It's triggering some response in our brain and we don't even know. But in the last 20 years, we have figured out that you know, the, and, and we love acronyms in lighting, as you know, the IPRGCs, of course, are taking that light in, um, not translating to a picture, but triggering the circadian rhythm in our brain uh, and in our body. And that's a whole host of bodily functions, including the primary bodily function, right? Like that's regulated on a 24 hour cycle. Uh, and when we disrupt that, we live in a perpetual state of jet lag. So the 40 foot candles that I was taught to design to, uh, if we spend all day under 40 foot candles, we are in a perpetual state of twilight uh, and, you know, we don't sleep as well. Our cognition goes down. Uh, endocrine function is is impacted, you know, and mostly how can you quantify these things? I mean, it's deep you know, technical science. I can't heal you. I can't guarantee you better life, uh, you know, or perfect health, but I can be more supportive of it instead of less supportive of it. I can work in your favor instead of against it. How do you do that when you don't know what time they're going to be under the lights and stuff like that? Like, how do you solve that dilemma? See, because, you know, we we talk about health effects of lighting and there's there's kind of different angles coming at it. They're almost like two stars that are comets that are going to crash into one another. One of them is controllability. So if you hand someone the ability to tune a light fixture or to dim it or to control it in any way, um, you're offering them choice. If you tell them that you're going to give them a, something that helps their circadian rhythm, they don't have a choice over that anymore. So how do you as a lighting designer solve the problem that of that choice leads to uncertain outcomes and prescriptive is the only way that you could actually impact someone's circadian rhythm? You know, you remind me of like the end of the second matrix film. It's like, it all comes down to choice. <laughs> Everything's about choice, you know, and, and that's the, the quintessential human condition. The, in this case, it really depends on the application. So from a residential standpoint, we have an individual or two or three individuals who are going to make all those choices in an institutional setting, say a school or a hospital, somebody else is making those choices for everybody more or less so the the answers to those questions are different depending on the application in our sector in the residential sector where you know where we do most of the work the solution we present we have to know the control solution at the same time because most of them are not compatible <laughs> they don't talk to each other and you know, basically what we tell the people, the integrators, the custom integrators that we work with is um, you need a control system that's already done the math. You need a system that's already figured it out so that all the homeowner has to do is say, yes, I want the natural sequence. 
and then it happens. And are there going to be overrides? Absolutely, there are going to be overrides. You know, is there an ability for them to come in at three o'clock in the morning and pump 5,000 degrees Kelvin at, you know, full brightness? They're going to have that capability. So in, in, in terms of guaranteeing their wellness, we would have to totally educate them. They'd have to wear their little dasimeter. You know, we'd have to live in the house with them. Like we can't control people that much as, you know, as I think you were pointing out. So we do the best we can. And in that case, it's automating as much of it as possible so that it's um, in synchron, you know, so that it's synchronized to natural light. See, the key point for me, Greg, and I don't know if you, if you, is this 5,000 K in the morning and then the elimination of blue light at night that are like, you know, that would be the, the fundamental thing that you could give people is to remove the, the blue light. Now, what we know from the research is that even though something could be dim to warm, say an LED is dim to warm, that it will still be admitting that blue light. It will just be tinted in some way, but it still has the negative impact of the blue light um so that you know we can give them that burst in the morning like if you had your mirror in your bathroom or something and there was two sconces on either side that were hitting you really hard with let's say 5,000 or a ton of lux put it that way at a certain kelvin temperature that would have the effect of waking you up um we know that how do you deal with the 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 the, the leds when they're when we know that they're still admitting that bad spectrum even though the light's been tinted it's like almost like a shade over top of the led or something well as we understand it the blue you know that blue spike is critical to resetting our circadian rhythm mm -hmm. but it's just that we are more sensitive to that than we are to say uh, an amber light, you know, a 2,700 degrees Kelvin light. So, you know, we've, we, we kind of subscribe to the LRC or, well, now it's with Mount Sinai. We kind of describe mm -hmm. to their school of thought that says, you know, actually I could do an entirely circadian entrained home with 2,700 degrees Kelvin if I just get the intensity right. Mm -hmm. So okay. in other words, in the morning, if I blast you with zillions right of lux of 2700k <laughs> i can wake you up and if i use uh, uh, saturated blue in the wrong spectrum but i use just a tiny bit of it bouncing off the ceilings for a night sky i'm going to totally relax and it the color temperature is important i think but in the residential sector we see it as as important uh, because warm dim is perfect in the evening and it looks like orange dim in the middle of the day and mm, it's true you know blue light is you know 6000k is great in the day and it looks like well i can't say it on the air probably but it looks <laughs> terrible at night right it's just like as mm. institutional and froyo as you possibly can get and it's just like i can't live here it's just getting it at the right time at the right you know the right place at the right time there's nothing worse Greg, think... than walking into someone's kitchen and they have like 6,500K MR16s. It's like, oh God, what's the matter with you? Blasting that, yeah. Yep, yep. So that kind of leads into my next question. You know, they have that right now. Let's say, whenever I think of lighting design, I think it's new construction. But are you going into existing residential and commercial spaces and redesigning the lighting that's there right now? Are you seeing a lot of that? We personally don't see a lot of it. When we see it, it's 
guts. It's gut remodels, you know, it's, or at least they're willing to do some pretty major surgery to the ceiling. And that's yeah. one of the tough parts of lighting is that it's stuck in there and the decisions you make when you build the space, you know, and nowadays if you're putting an LED fixture in, I mean, you're stuck with that decision. Like if you're waiting for it to burn out, you're stuck with that decision for a very long time. Um, and you know, when we talk about getting the right light in the right place, when we go into a space and it's four cans and a fan in the master bedroom, like, I'm sorry, but those lights are not in the right place. Like, I can't change the light bulb and make it much better. I can maybe put in a warm, dim, you know, uh, retrofit lamp and it's going to be more pleasant at night, but I'm still lighting the carpet and I'm missing the point. So for us, it's been really tricky to figure out how to get good lighting into retrofit situations when the only thing we can change is the color temperature, because that's just one of the components of good lighting. Right. And I see on your website, you have three different services you offer in terms of lighting design packages. That's nice. It kind of breaks it down essential signature unlimited. Um, and with all of that stuff though, and I've always kind of wondered lighting design, but I'm, I'm guessing it's a lot like me. How do you determine what fixture to choose? You just have to do as much research as you can beforehand to know what might fit here? Well, lighting designers spend a stupid amount of time keeping up on fixtures. But of course, none of us can keep up on all of it. So I had a client ask me the other day, well, what if we find a substitution? You know, and I said, well, send it to me and I'll take a look at it. Because if I specify brand X, nine times out of 10, there's another brand out there somewhere that will provide a fixture that will do just as good a job, right? But I can't physically learn all of the product lines of all of the manufacturers in this space. It's impossible. So do we play to favorites? Any lighting designer that tells you they don't play favorites is lying to you, right? Because we do. Now, we, we all say, oh, we choose the best fixture for the client. But it basically means we choose the fixture we know the most about for the client. Um, and that means we've been to their factory and on the fishing trip, you know, or whatever it is that that got us to know that that fixture. So do we play to favorites? Yeah, we have a we have a short list of lines and our method to market. We work a lot with custom integrators and um, our method to market is finding out the, you know, if the custom integrator is in that space and wants to sell those fixtures, then we try to provide a specification that can be sourced from one place so that the system that is completely uh, provided by and integrated by a single source so that when the light flickers, <laughs> um, you have one phone call. And most of the time it doesn't flicker because we've matched a fixture with a control system to make it all work. I read your on your language of light blog uh, that you were asked to define the catchy term human centric lighting. Mike and I have tried. Give us your rundown on that. How do you define it? Yeah. Um, the term human centric lighting is one of the key indicators that the lighting industry is messed up, right? <laughs> the fact that we have something called human centric lighting is like, what the heck have you been selling me for the last 130 years? if it wasn't human centric right so human centric is a catchy marketing term that is basically a new way to say it's profit centric but we're telling we're not telling you that you know we're 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 making it based on your your health but of course it's profit centric um you know so i i hear people define it in a lot of different ways as saying okay it's lighting that responds to the human need and 
in that case, then it should just be good lighting. It should just be good lighting design. It should just be good. It shouldn't be human centric. Everyone should have that. Um, but I think in general, you know, um, one of the reasons I hate the term is that I see a lot of times it's just used for CCT. So it's like, okay, it's human centric. What's that mean? That means you can get 6,000 K at 10 AM and you can get 2000 K at 9 PM. And that's like ignoring everything else that lighting does for us and just focusing on the color temperature. So I think human centric is a, a beautiful term. It's a very catchy marketing term. And I totally get why manufacturers use it because you gotta have something, you gotta have some way to talk about it. Um, but it is, um, I think unfortunately, it gives the aura to the customer, to some of the customers that we're just selling snake oil. And that I think is is the problem. Do I have a better alternative? Uh, I, I'm I'm not that good. <laughs> well, I I think the fundamental problem with the term human centric lighting is that by definition any electric light is human centric. By it should be, right? No, it's it should been created be. for human use. Yeah. Right. Like, right. Yeah. You know, I mean, candles maybe could be thrown in there too. Um, you know, the sun is not human centric lighting. Um, your light bulb or whatever it is, is human centric because it's made for humans, um, you know, to, to have a visible light on when there's absence of visible light. That's, you know, that's why it's kind of a stupid term. Um, yep. it's also, it's also, um, you know, the idea that I, I think one of the things that we need to add as an industry is that this should be the lighting and darkness industry it should be both things. Right. So a fundamental interest that our trade organization is trying to move forward with the IDA and the IES is the restoration and preservation of natural darkness. And that darkness is a kind of is a, is, a, is as a, much of a concern for our industry as light is. And so when you're talking about anything, you know, that helps human health, the only thing you're referring to, the all, everything else comes after this, all the gains from the health effects of lighting come from better sleep. So you help people sleep better, then you have everything else. You're, they're more alert. They're more whatever. Lighting design, if you're talking about a health benefit, people like well-designed spaces for reasons other than sleep and alertness. You know, you have like, you they've proven it. You send a, a group of people into a, a low light, low dimmed environment, they will speak. Their, their volume goes down. They move slower, okay? You send people into a room with brighter lights, they'll walk faster and talk louder. So this idea of cueing, I think, the idea of cueing humans is fundamental to the future of, of um, whatever you want to call this, whether it's this idea of using th taking the aspects of theatrical lighting and incorporating them into general lighting is really what, human-centric health effect circadian is really all about is that every lighting system now can be a theatrical kind of lighting system where you're able to deliver an experience that one makes people act a certain way two aids their sleep and three is fundamental to the use of the room and those are the three things that i think need to come together from the lighting design perspective what are your thoughts on that david I love the way you talk about it. There's a couple of different, you know, Ooh, I think we you. could talk about your statement and just, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think we could talk about different components of your statement for, you know, 
an hour each, the dark mm -hmm. sky piece being, you know, a big one of saying, you know what, if it's not doing something for us, if it's going into the air, then it's just a total waste and a disaster for everybody involved. Um, you know, that's a huge component of lighting design. I agree with you. You know, we're, we're, you know, trying to educate our clients. You know what? Let's not put up lights on the house. Let's find another way to, you know, make it feel comfortable when you come home, but not be, you know, spotlighting the sky. But this, this, uh, your comment about theatrical, the theatrical approach. Um, I actually, you know, my background is a good example of this. I'm sitting in a room that has a dark background. So because I spend most of my days on Zoom and that background has been designed to look good on Zoom. But from a point just out of the camera range, the entire room in front of me is white because I don't want to work in a black room. So I've created a theatrical moment that makes my office look really cool to people who are you know, meeting with me in Zoom, but I've also then arranged the rest of my office so that it's bright and active and it, you know, it kind of takes those two rooms you described and it says, I want the client to feel that and I want to feel this and I put it in there. And, you know, DMX, which we see in all of the color changing technologies or most of the color technologies out there, you know, we all know that's a 30 year old theatrical per, um, uh, uh, protocol. You know, we've been using that forever. And we have a lot of designers on staff, myself included, who have a theatrical background. We've, and there's nowhere that people get more specific about dimming and percentage levels and precise color and precise focus than theater. I mean, if it's off by 2% in a dimming level, we freak out about it, you know, and it's that way for a moment. And then we change it for the next moment. And then we change it for the next moment. So a typical theatrical play can have 300 light fixtures above the stage and it may look like a living room on stage but we're lighting it with 300 lights and we're changing the lighting in it 150 times during the hour act we're never going to get that into a home but we have the capability now to at least get closer to it to be able to support moment to moment and i i'm going to have to think about that theatrical piece and say okay are we doing enough here are we doing enough to set the scene yeah, I agree. I, I think that what you're seeing is the is the combining of the art of theatrical lighting into general use applications. And LEDs and, and this dim to warm is really handing you the paint and the palette is the is the room or the space like never before. And if there's something positive, really positive about LEDs outside the energy benefits, it's really that. You can you can do all these things if you have the skills, the technical skills, the savvy, the understanding. You can really do something spectacular for people. But how do you keep it simple, David? Because controls are a pain in the ass. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, that's I think, you know, the hundred billion dollar question is how do we keep it simple? Because the light bulb technologies are out there, the wireless communication protocols are out there, the apps are out there. You know, the astronomical time clocks are out there, but getting them to play well together is not an easy thing. It's not plug and play. And that we've trained the general population to know this about lighting on or off. And when we expand beyond that in all of these possibilities, you know, we, we say, wait, which button do I push? No, no. If it's this, do I slide over here or wait, my phone needs to sync? You know, I, like, wait, I, 
I can't turn my lights on because they're updating. Like it becomes a yeah. real pain in the neck sure. in this worse forward, forward. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a few manufacturers that, yeah. who are doing it, but they're, you know, they're controlling the ecosystem so that they can make sure it all plays. Yeah. Well they want to, it's so, it's so weird trying to like lock everything up like that. It's like, sorry, but you're not a software development company. You're a lighting company, but here, here's right. what, you know, he, you know, here's what I would, um, you know, propose. So we, this is get a grip studios. So we do podcasts, not just for me, but for anybody that wants to do podcasts. And a lot of people say to me, oh, you know, humans have short attention spans, except for me, of course, the person saying it. All those stupid humans out there, they, they won't listen to my show. Maybe your show is crap. You know what I'm saying? Like, maybe you're not producing good content. Maybe the problem is you. And I, have to say, I say the same thing to the controls companies. Like, you know what? I, I, you know, there's a, maybe it's not them. <laughs> that's the problem here okay maybe it's you maybe it's your system is very difficult to use maybe it's hard to commission maybe the you know somebody doesn't want to have to buy a phone that has the latest bluetooth android marshmallow update on it maybe their phone's not capable of having that maybe you went bankrupt and now they you're not updating your system greg eric or you got you know what i'm saying like people are not stupid they they can get in a herd mentality yes there's herd mentality but when you're talking about innovation, humans will change like that if the benefits are obvious or they're addicted to it. You, would, you can either addict them or give them hyper benefits. And oftentimes those things are the same thing. So we've seen humans change very quickly in the last 15, 20 years in my life. And so the idea that humans won't change is, is, is not true. They have to, benefits have to be obvious and relevant and easy to adopt, adapt to. And if you do that, People will do it very quickly, which is why I'm very bullish on these um, Energy Focus, who's the sponsor of this show, has a very simple um, wall switch, which controls some of their products, which offers dimming and tuning. And so you're introducing people to the tunability of lighting in the same way as they know how to use a dimmer. I think that's very powerful just to give people the opportunity with the end focus system to just, Oh, I can change the color of these lights and I can change the light level. Oh, that makes a lot of sense to me. Cause this, you know, Jimmy wants it 5,000 K and, and, and Susie wants it 2,700 K. Okay. No problem. We'll just put these in every office. So dimming and tuning are kind of very similar to one another. And I think, you know, that's one way we can introduce people to that. It's a wall switch. They use it. Everybody loves the focus system. It's so easy to use. So I think we have to, as integrators and designers and distributors, we have to be wary of complexity. Complexity after installation is the killer of any control. I just went on a rant of any control system, David. <laughs> I mean, what are your thoughts on that? And how do you help your clients, particularly the residential ones, navigate all this? Well, I think you're you're absolutely right in that we complicate things. Uh, as an industry, we overcomplicate things, you know. And frankly, if you have to use your phone for your lights, then we've gone too far mm -hmm. um, because the the general client isn't gonna they're they're not gonna do that. You know, you have the few people who are the, the okay. I'll play with the app a couple of times the first month mm -hmm. I own the stuff, yes. and then I'm never gonna take it out again. But if you you know what if you put something like a simple wall box control that gives them another level of control, then yeah, it's much more likely that people are going to use it. And it's kind of like the lighting industry 
is a mess and it's nobody's fault and it's everybody's fault. You know, it's like, it's nobody's fault that most homes are built at best with a bunch of disc lights that are color selectable CCT, right? That's like the best for most of the houses. Um, never mind that in a cathedral ceiling, those things are glare bombs and, oh, you know, man, incredibly disgusting. inefficient. Uh, it's nobody's fault, but it's everybody's fault. You know, like you said, if we didn't sell that stuff, nobody would buy it. Um, um, but we've created this sort of race to the bottom and race to simplification and, um, you know, race to commodification that's left us in a position where we've trained the homeowners to spend nothing on lighting. And we've trained the homeowners to know nothing about lighting. And we've trained them to do nothing, you know, when they walk into a space. So from our standpoint in our business, like half of our design process is client education. It's, and we have to, we have to break it into little bits. Nobody wants to sit and listen to me lecture for an hour. So it's little bits here and there so that by the time we get to the end, they're making an intelligent choice about whatever it is we're asking them to make an informed choice about. It's so exhausting. And they make the right though. choice. That's so exhausting yeah. though, dude. Yeah. Like, you know when you're sitting you, with someone, like I feel like screaming at them, I'm the host of the Get a Grip on Lighting podcast. The, you know, like why are you not like, listening to me? What's that? The difference between you and I and David is David gets paid up front for his services. Oh. You and I give our services, then hope they buy our stuff. Oh, okay, <laughs> so there, that's a difference. If we charge yeah, up right. front. Yeah, maybe. I mean, honestly, how are we going to change this? Right? How are we going to change? Yeah. That's one of the things I wonder about: is how are we going to change it? And frankly, um, until we, buy I don't know. I don't think we know Indiana. what to change it to. <laughs> I don't think we know what well, to change true. it to. Yeah, I'm serious when but I say that. We could do better. You know, I think that what, you know, you talked about um, Mount Sinai Lighting Research Center there. I think they're doing a lot of good work to get this information out to the public. But, you know, um, you know, Greg, I'll go throw it over to you here because you're the one always talking about leadership in the industry and the vacuum that's existing right now. Yeah, right. No, I mean, I think that's what needs to be solved is somebody needs to step up and say, this is what it is. And that's what I'm trying to do right now. What is human centric lighting? What is it? What do we call it? We don't know, right? There isn't it. It right. just is. Is there a marketing I, gimmick term we should use? I mean, given our current society and the way we make decisions in the herd mentality, if you will, I mean, I really think that the leadership in terms of the industry, like we've got great leaders in the industry here and there. Sure. There is no there is no um, Elon Musk or or, you know, or Edison, Thomas Edison, right, at the moment, who is the central figure or the central voice who's driving the entire conversation. There's nobody like that. And I don't know that we need that. But there is, um, that means there's a vacuum in leadership. There's a vacuum in direction. Um, and, you know, my personal sort of favorite go-to solution is um, we actually need an HGTV show that becomes popular and then we can change the conversation. It's like you got to start as a populist movement, <laughs> you know, to say, "Hey, um, you can do shiplap now. Let me take you to another level in terms of what you can do in your home." You're so right and, about that, David. You know, You're people so right watch it, and then my wife watches this show called "Love It or List It." I don't know if you've heard of it before. Yeah, like yeah. I, I'm like, oh god. Okay, so they, they're doing this right now, and it's just like a night. I hate see rentals, so. I've, I've renovated so many houses. I just, I know I'm not interested anymore in look, watching people do it. But they never talk about lighting. They almost never talk about it. 
and they never bring it up. They never talk about how the room was lit. You're, you're absolutely right about that. It's something that could, I don't know if we need a whole new show, but it's something where you could call people like that and say, look, the fundamental part of your design, Missy, that you won with is the lighting that people can see it in. Like, can we start bringing that conversation to the table? If you had someone like that, that really was an advocate for it and put a stake in the ground, it would make a big, I think you're right. I think it would make a big difference. That's for sure. I, yeah. I think we could change public opinion, you know, and yeah, I think sure. that there's a reason why lighting isn't on those shows. It's because it usually looks bad on camera at night. Like it's just not done well enough to look good on camera. Lighting mm. for the camera is totally complicated. Um, and we're concerned more about the aesthetics of the chandelier than we are about whether or not it actually puts light on the table. So you get, you know, this disconnect between the daytime aesthetics of lighting, which is about the only thing that people will talk about on those kinds of shows or in the public, or you go to buy a chandelier, you buy it in the daytime, you know, you, you shop it on, on a catalog, they show it turned off in a space during the day. Like that's, that's how we buy light fixtures. Of course, people can't make educated decisions based on that. You know, they're, they're deciding whether they like the shape of it and the color of it. So we could do a better job, but it is going to take a pretty significant change, I think, to the, the sort of mass media culture that's being consumed at the moment. Because it's all daytime and it's all overlit. <laughs> I saw an article in a magazine, uh, a home you know, renovation magazine that was talking about a bright basement re remodel. And every single photograph is this beautiful, bright basement. It had no windows. That was one of the things they talked about. There were no light fixtures turned on in any of the photos. Mm. And you're like, no one actually has any idea what that space looks like. Sure. None. I... Because it was completely lit with photography lighting. All of the light fixtures were literally turned off. And they said, here's a nice bright basement. You know, I look at it and say, it's actually not nearly that bright in real life. You know? so, so, you know, it's interesting. Is, them. I have a huge love of sun tunnels and skylights. So um, I have a contractor that I've worked with for years, and I always put skylights in my showers. Okay. So if we have a shower... You put a skylight above the shower and he's like, well, why do you do that? It's such a pain in the ass. You have to have this huge fan up there to get rid of all the, the thing and it's on a sensor. So you walk in the shower, that big fan comes on and stays on for 30 minutes after. So there's no vapor and all that sort of stuff. But I'm like, that's a circadian rhythm cracker, buddy. You get up in the morning, it doesn't work so well in Canada in the winter, but in the, in the, in the spring and summer, when you get up for your shower at seven in the morning, the sun is bombing into that shower and you're bathing in sunlight and in water, brother. Now, Ooh, almost nice. every single, every single shower he does in a high-end home has a skylight in it. I said, you should be paying me commission, you son of a bitch. But anyway. Well, I should, yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's such a wonderful place for a skylight because that's where you're going in the morning if you want to hit someone's circadian rhythm. Yeah, sure, in the winter it's dark in the morning. But, you know, in that summertime, in that spring, you get in there, you're getting smashed with sunlight. It's such a wonderful place pleasurable experience and, and people don't even really once they see this skylight in a shower every shower should have a skylight in it i think they should put that yeah, in the building code people <laughs> love outdoor showers you know it's you like go. a thing yeah. it's like a design thing and then we're like we love an outdoor shower and our shower in the master bath is going to be in a closet you're know, like, there's yeah, gotta exactly. be somewere in between the skylight. Oh, dude, I'm telling you, put the, the right skylight direction. in the shower, dude, sun tunnels mm -hmm. in everybody's rooms, big windows. Boom. Like at my, my, um, the home I'm renovating right now there, you don't need a, you don't need electric light at all during the day in, in any of the major rooms of the house, the kitchen, master bedroom, any of the kids rooms, front entrance. There's no, you don't even need 
electric light during the day. It's so, so, I mean, that's a key too. Greg, any final thoughts for David before we have him give his final thoughts for the listeners out there? I would say read, you know, read his blog. I love it, man. I, I was checking out your sketchbook. All those are cool little <laughs> do's and don'ts, yep. and and the articles you do, they're awesome. So I, I encourage everyone to check it out. David, awesome. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. You know, it's conversations like this where you're actually tackling the issues head on and calling spades spades and saying, hey, why are we doing it this way? I mean, this is the kind of thing that needs to keep happening and keep growing so that lighting can be what it can be. We can help people live better lives. That's ultimately what we do as lighting designers, help people live better lives. And right now we're helping a really small fraction of the people out there. Mm. Uh, and why not help more people like this, this kind of thing and getting out there? There's enough of us we could help everybody if we just started moving in the right direction. Yeah, and that's why everyone needs to get that Nouveau Traveler Cup. Greggy, show them for all the peeps <laughs> out there from Energy Focus. Bring that with you. You want to clean the air? Listen, folks, this is neat. This distinction needs to be made right now, okay? UV is two different things. There's surface disinfection, which does nothing to stop COVID-19. It's an aerosol, okay? COVID-19 is in the air, Okay, it's not on surfaces. So you can clean your hands till you're blue in the fist with alcohol wipes or whatever the hell you're doing. And you can scrub all your surfaces down. And yeah, maybe you'll get the salmonella off the table. Okay, which is what's on the table. But COVID-19 is in the air, which is why you need that Nouveau Traveler, brother. Bring it around with you. I'm ordering. I just, I didn't even realize. I thought Greg Eric was talking about his margarita, but he's not. <laughs> He's talking about cleaning the air wherever he goes. Like, come on, folks. This is a great way if you, you know, if you want to, um, you know, offer people some security that actually is doing something. So people are looking, reaching right now for solutions because they're scared of the virus. This is, this thing works. It cleans the air where COVID-19 lives. SARS-CoV-2 lives in the air, folks. So let's go. Let's go with the UV. Get those fixtures in there, Greg Eric. Start selling right now. NUVO.us. That's Energy Focus's new website for their Nouveau line of UV disinfecting fixtures and all sorts of stuff, Greg. That's right. Uh, you mentioned everything right there. Filter-free technology, rechargeable battery, four hours. Drive it, bring it in your car, bring it to your office, home, everywhere you go. Got it. What a fantastic idea. Wow. Most, most viruses that you're going to catch are going to be airborne, aerosol. That's right. Bring that thing around with you. Get the fixtures they have. Go to nuvo.us right now for Energy Focus's line. And, of course, they're a proud member of the National Association of Innovative Lighting Distributors. And if you want to learn more about active air disinfection, about passive air disinfection, about surface disinfection, what's good, what application, you got to, you got to get into LS Evolve, which is our ongoing training program. That's right. Get into Ellis Evolve. We have the world's number one expert in UV technology. That's right. Fred Van Leerup created our uh, ultraviolet UV by disinfection um, system. So you got to get into Nailed and start taking Ellis Evolve, and you'll know all this stuff I know because we give it to all of our members for free. That's right. And if you made it to the end here, uh, all David's stuff will be posted on the website, getagriponlighting.com. And, of course, we love all you guys and gals out there that have listened to the end. Always, we are very grateful. Bye for now.